and welcome to part one of Warhammer The Old World Lore Crash Course, a short mini-series in which we aim to bring you up to speed with the current setting in the Old World re-release, separate our griffins from our goblins, our beastmen from our bretonians, and our wood elves from our warriors of chaos, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Kralin Allen. Hello there. Who knows absolutely fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren. What ho! Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After years of trying to address the dichotomy between our levels of understanding, we gather once again to revel in our ignorance. Dichotomy! Dichotomy! (laughs) (laughs) Hello, chaps. Back again. Back again. Will Warhammer stop coming out with stuff for us to cover? <laughs> Hopefully not, Crowley. Hopefully, Hopefully not. not ever. Okay, so some listeners will have heard our other shows, those poor bastards. But for those of you who haven't, by way of an introduction, let's have a, a quick fire question round. So, Kral, yes or no, you love D&D and fantasy in general, yep. but you know the square root of fuck all about Warhammer. Is that correct? Yeah, even after several years of doing this show with you, yes, correct. Yeah, hi, I'm Chris, and I'm in Ignoramus. Yeah, hi. (laughs) That's not really motivating for me, is it? (laughs) It's me, not you. It's a me problem, Darren. It's definitely a him problem, mate. It's definitely a him problem. And Dar, yes or no, you've spent most of your life neglecting your responsibilities in order to inquire encyclopedic knowledge of everything that is Warhammer. Is that correct? It's depressingly true. I mean, you're forcing a lot of self-reflection here. Uh, well, when you say excellent. it out loud, it's... Uh, wow. <laughs> That's real painful. You mean I could have had a career? <laughs> no, because we wouldn't be able to do this if you had. So, Kral, would you care to sum up Dar's attempt at dad jokes in three words or less? Um, Kill yourself. Three words or less, that's impossible. <laughs> His dad jokes are great because they don't land. Isn't that the whole point of a dad joke? Do you know, isn't that yeah. the irony of a dad joke? You know, they're okay. kind of like, right. oh. So in that sense, 11 out of 10 for the dad jokes, Darren. Yeah. I think we should define <laughs> dad jokes. Like, when does a joke become a dad joke? Give us a dad joke right now. Go, on the spot. When, when told by a dad? No, when it becomes apparent. Ah, there you go. <laughs> oh Mate. god ow Ugh, just give me the piakas amazing amazing Mate, Dar, would you care to sum up kral's attention span and information retention capabilities in three words or less uh perfect <laughs> that is just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> couldn't have put it done on myself yeah. inconsistent but adorable excellent <laughs> love it i did my best right if you'll allow me to gather myself spiritually for the oncoming torrent of abuse i will allow you both three words or less to describe me go chris okay go chris no wait a minute um <laughs> great hair twat twat (laughs) (laughs) and i'm spent (laughs) syphilitic tinder scourge (laughs) Mm. chef's kiss (laughs) oh dear Uh, yep 
I definitely need <laughs> to prepare spiritually for that one. <laughs> Although it is true, you know, I'm not going to deny it. Uh, okay, well, I mean, fuck it. I think that brings everyone up to speed. Everybody knows who everyone else is. Yeah. That's it. That's who we are. It's like you've known us all I've our got lives. another one. I've got another three. I've got another three. Okay, I've got okay, another go, three. Go, go. Another go three words. Tries hard. Bless. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> ben, three words to describe me. Lovable, frustrating beard. <laughs> I think. I think right, hard to deny. Hard to deny. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. Okay. All right. I wish to change the word syphilitic to enthusiastic. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that in response to me calling you that's, lovable? Uh, that's because you were nice. And I went, yeah. <laughs> uh, the emphasis was on frustrating, but I'll take it. <laughs> right, okay. Situation established. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Let's go. It's a very good question. I've been derailed now. All I've got is fucking three words. Every time I look at something, three words <laughs> pop into my head. <laughs> the old world. Finny. We are here to give a brief primer, a quick introduction to the new, in quotes, game released by Games Workshop. At time of record, either is about to be released or has been released. Or maybe we're late. Maybe this is six months after the fact due to technical difficulties. Who knows? <laughs> but the, the upcoming release. The upcoming. Oh, please don't use that word. <laughs> yeah, the new version of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. The original kind of flagship IP from Games Workshop from, you know, 1983-ish through to 2015 when they detonated it with the end times uh, where they quite literally figuratively blew up an imaginary planet. Mr. Chris, <laughs> you had your hand up there. I did. I've got so many questions, but I think I'm just going to bombard you with stuff you're already going to cover anyway, so I'm just going to zip it. <laughs> I'm going to zip it. God, just wait. Such control, Kral. Such control. Yeah. Such discipline. <laughs> Would you like to ask one of them just to just to wait your back? I just need to pull my hand down. <laughs> Stop it, Kral. <laughs> Leave the questions. Uh, are you not asking one? What? Why are they doing it? Why are they re-releasing the old world? Fuck, that's a fucking good question, Kral. Really, you'd need to be in the meeting room in you know Games Workshop HQ to answer that with any sort of accuracy. My personal take on it. Is that there money. is well, yeah, well, they're a business, you know, they're, they're a games company, mm. but part of that is being a company. Mm. Uh, I think there's just a huge interest in the old world setting, as evidenced by the huge success of the four versions of the fantasy role playing game, all of which have been set in the Warhammer world, we'll call it, to give it its proper elven name. It is referred to as the Fated Place, but we'll just call it the Warhammer World. Not to be confused with Warhammer World, which is in Nottingham. Mm. <laughs> the theme park. <laughs> the theme park. <laughs> Get your Warhammer World credits here. <laughs> I'm not going on the Nurgle flume. Um, 
And now you have AIDS. <laughs> so I think, obviously, there's a financial opportunity for the company, but that's based on the interest of the wider community. I think that a lot of people still play Warhammer Fantasy. When the old world was detonated in 2015, there was what was called the Ninth Age, which was the ninth edition, which was a fan-made supplement that proved to be very, very popular. And in terms of kind of rank consumerism, we should just point out that a lot of the miniatures for Warhammer Fantasy go at a huge premium on auction sites like eBay et al. So there's a lot of money or there's a how should we put it this in a more kind of beneficial light there's a very interesting and active market yes there's an enthusiastic Mm. marketplace for this stuff and i think as i'd said about the fantasy role-playing game it's a setting that was developed over 35 years so of course it's going to have an incredible amount of detail none of which we'll cover in this podcast (laughs) 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 these two episodes are about like it'd be like trying to read a book while cycling past someone holding a page open that's really what we're going for so it's like (laughs) dangerous dangerous yeah (laughs) we're going to give you just enough information so that you're wildly wrong and get ridiculed by your friends (laughs) that is the aim that's what that's our aim (laughs) yeah yep Do you think that the release of the Lord of the Rings films had any influence on either the... Because they came out like over a decade before they detonated, as you say, and brought about the end times. Do you think they had anything to do with that decision to, to end Warhammer Fantasy Battle? Or do you know has the kind of increasing popularity of Lord of the Rings had anything to do, do you think, with this re-release? It's very difficult to have a single reason. It, it mean, as is true for most things in the world, it's never one thing. Mm. I think mm. there was a a kind of shifting of the gaming community, you know, in its totality of other games as well, that moved towards more skirmish level games. You know, it used okay. to cost five six hundred pounds to get enough box sets together to have a, a playable functional Warhammer Fantasy Army, where with other game systems you could, you know, you'd spend 40 quid and you're done. Right, right. So right. when Games Workshop released the Lord of the Rings strategy game, or uh, as was, that needed a handful of miniatures each side. Right. They, you know, they plussed it up through the various editions where you would need somewhere between 40 to 50 miniatures, depending on the faction you're playing. Could they all be hobbits? Yes, you can play an entire hobbit force in Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Were they effective? Uh, yeah. No, they were not effective. The clue was in the word <laughs> hobbits. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> was it mainly cooking utensils? <laughs> Uh, no, it was mostly bows and uh, sticks. Some had like axes and stuff, and there was one and strongly worded letters. Yeah, one <laughs> one one miniature wielded an umbrella. Amazing uh, as a way. They had brollies. <laughs> oh yeah! Wow, cutting edge in the Shire. Yeah, it rains in the Shire, bro. Yeah, man. 
I think the success of the Lord of the Rings game, which is, per, you know, arguably one of the best game systems that Games Workshop has ever released. And in fact, it's the same game system they used for a historical game called uh, Legends of the Old West, where you could play, you know, basically cowboys. So you're going to fight in the OK Corral and all this kind of stuff. Uh, that's based on the Middle okay, Earth okay, Corral. system. Yeah, the, that landed on its arse, Ben. I'm sorry. I am okay. <laughs> yeah, it did, yeah. Because Corral and Corral sound too similar. Really. <laughs> corral, Corral. Okay. <laughs> you can't. I've been trying for years. You cannot Corral, Corral. So, to answer your question about Lord of the Rings, I think Lord of the Rings game tapped into the desire for skirmish games, you know, smaller scale in terms of the number okay. of miniatures you need. And right. so, Fantasy Battle went from their flagship game to something that was, I think, the last thing I saw, it was you know less than 5% of their turnover was right. from Fantasy Battle you know, the year of or a few years before they started the end times uh, mm. and kind of ended the game line. Gotcha. But it, it's an absolutely cracking setting. It's so deep and fantastic. And I think that there's a really good podcast that outlines this. I think it's called Laying Down the Lore of the Old World. Oh, no. Uh, it's pretty good. The lads, they're all right. Like, eh, a bit fun. I yeah. hear they're imbeciles. Mainly idiots. My kind of presenters. <laughs> <laughs> so, will the new The Old World be The Old World, the sequel? Or <laughs> yeah. is it being remade? Is it like a remastered version of, of the original? It is a prequel, if I've got a if prequel. I understand it correct. A prequel. So, the... Warhammer Fantasy Battle 8th edition took place in the mid 500 the mid 2500s of the imperial calendar. Don't worry about not understanding what imperial calendar mean. We're going to cover it right now in fact. So the calendar of the <laughs> Empire of Man is referred to as the imperial calendar. So at the time of detonation it was the mid 2500s. Now, what's year 0, Darren? Year Zero was the founding of the Empire of Man by Sigmar, who is a demigod who has ascended to godhood within 40 years of the creation of the Empire. And he is the primary deity of the Empire of Man. We, the three of us, refer to events within the Warhammer world as BS, before Sigmar, and AS, after Sigmar. It's or, a genius you know, system. It really is a genius system. Mm, We've mm. looked at patenting it, but um, unfortunately, <laughs> it, it's not our IP. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the rest of humanity got there first. Yeah. A question about our date logic. So when you say after Sigmar, is that after Sigmar's death? I already death? know where you're going. Don't fucking poke holes in this. My entire psyche will collapse. <laughs> because what about during Sigma for his like, let's say he was alive for like 60 years 70 years I don't know oh, the lifespan uh, that's DS you, yeah it's DS yeah at Sigma during Sigma okay fine yeah, yeah. with Sigma. Sigma yeah okay <laughs> around Sigma <laughs> in parallel with Sigma <laughs> got it yeah. yeah the DS is very kind of it's more kind of handheld it's not really good for Mario 
<laughs> yes! Uh, <laughs> it's just Sigmar. It's just, it was BS and then S and then AS. <laughs> I think we're talking a load of AS, if I'm being completely honest. I, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. Timeline established. So, yes, <laughs> when the end times happened, it was the mid 2500s. The new game, the old world, will be set 250-ish years before that. Wow. So mm. it's, you're looking at uh, some sort of point between the 2200s and the 2300s. Cool. That is when the new, the old world is going to be occurring. In that yes, last that's the new set. Quarter of yeah. a millennium, basically, that last yeah. 250 years. Okay, okay. In terms of like... I don't know if you're going to cover this later on, but in terms that you say you say it's set in that period, is yep. will they develop a narrative that will move through time through that that period, or is it just like it's this year and that's it and that that's the setting and then it just it's battles and and stories that happen within that time, or will it kind of do you think they'll take it up to the end times again, for instance? I don't think they'll take it up to the end times. I'm not entirely sure that there would be a good reason to do so. The end of that century is really interesting because there is a huge cataclysmic battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Evil we're putting in quotes. And in fact, good we're putting in quotes as well. That means by the powers of formulaic reduction, nothing needs quotes. <laughs> yeah, it's just the whole thing in quotes. So I've, yeah, I've removed the things, quotes, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> there, there's something called the Great War Against Chaos, and we'll, we'll cover that in the next episode. And in fact, the next episode really will be a look at the detail that is available currently about that century and what each faction is doing and the kind of main events for the factions that are available at launch. This is an important phrase to keep in mind, dear listeners. At launch does not mean everything. At launch, they are releasing a Bretonian faction and the Tomb Kings faction. Both of these we'll cover shortly. But there are a number of factions that are not being included currently within the old world. And those are races that, in general, are outside of the old world because the old world is also a geographic location. Segway, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> seamless. Bam, seamless. <laughs> what is the Warhammer world? I hear you cry. What is the Warhammer world? I cry. Where's the Warhammer world? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm depressed. now he wakes up (laughs) now he wakes up the Warhammer world how does it look, what is it, where is it it is a fantasy setting within its own kind of cosmology and if we were to look at the world of Warhammer or as we've said previously the fated place, it looks incredibly like our own world the vast majority of the continents are there In fact, there's only one real addition, which is an Atlantean-style hula hoop of a continent in the middle of what we would consider the Atlantic Ocean. You can very readily identify 
where Europe would be, where Africa would be, where North and South America would be, where kind of Russia, China would be. It gets a bit kind of squirrely around the the ring of fire as, you know, in our own world. So the edges of China, Japan, and to some extent, I know it's not part of the ring of fire, but India as well. It's all kind of a kind of hodgepodge of fantasy cultures, most of which in that part of the world are not defined at all. Players of Total War Warhammer 3 will be familiar with Cathay, which is the Warhammer equivalent of China, and the amount of development that's gone into that civilization is brand new. That has not really ever appeared in the lore for Warhammer throughout almost its entirety. Was that developed just for the game then? That was developed just for the game. So we, you now have quite detailed maps, you have detailed forces that can be played that you know would not look out of place on the tabletop. But as of recording, there doesn't seem to be a plan to have miniatures of any of those units playable within the, the old world. That may change depending on the popularity of the game. Chris, you had a question. I did, and I've forgotten what that was, but, I mean, you've, you've highlighted an <laughs> interesting point about, as far as you're aware, they're, they're not going to expand the Cathay, the Far Eastern regions beyond Total War, but I would have thought that's a great commercial opportunity, right? Oh, a huge commercial opportunity. However, because... And logical, they're, if they're going yeah, to reintroduce oh, yeah. the old world as well. Ab- surely absolutely. Happen, surely. My money's on it's going to happen. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think depending on the success of the game, if the old world game sells well, they will, of course, throw more resources at it to bring out new units. I think the main reason they're focusing on the old world to start with is that's where most of the fantasy games are set uh, when it talks about Warhammer. So you're looking at it like Warhammer Quest like the fantasy role-playing game Vermintide, a game we may be familiar with uh, that we play very, 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 very badly. Yes. (laughs) How badly, you ask, uh, dear listener? We've played it once on Veteran and then went crawling back to recruit. Yeah. And still failed. And then had to get a friend to come and join us on the game to show us how to yeah. play recruit. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, and if anybody wants to see that, all the videos are available on the laying down the lower YouTube. It's uh, hours and hours of pointless shit. But yeah, it means, is. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is a lesson in how not to play Vermintide. Yeah, we shouldn't be yeah. It's yeah. a rip roaring waste of time. <laughs> oh my god! It's just you just realize we're we're not actually entertainment we're more a cautionary tale uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah learn from our mistakes so go on chris i just wanted to comment on the cafe thing this is me with my kind of commercial business hat on you know you've yeah. got a new or a refresher or an opportunity to bring out a, a, an, an old ip and it sounds like they're playing it safe let's bring out some current factions, Bretonius, the, uh, the Tomb Kings, a known quantity. They can probably gauge what the, the market reaction will be, give or take. At the same time, there's an opportunity there to go, you know, balls out and go, right, let's fucking introduce a brand new region, uh, the Cathay area. And it's almost a whole new IP. 
you know. But is that not, would the response to that not be what Darren was talking about earlier with the expression at release? Because all Mm, we're talking about is like what's being released, what we've been told is going to be released when they launch it. I mean, they're known for, you know, they're like, oh, and then you thought that was cool. Look at this thing that'll cost you another four hundred pounds. Shiny, then, shiny, and then you're easy, like, shiny, easy. We're trying to stay like, positive. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I mean. They're like, and 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 thankfully so. They're like, oh, look, you thought that was it. Surprise, bam! And then there's another bit of lore, and then some new figures, and That's it. so. There's no way, you know. There, there's no way. There, there's a strong possibility, I would say, that what you're describing will happen. But yeah, you know, mm, in yeah. the future, they're leaving it open. But yes, the thing to try and keep in mind as well is that, like, a new faction costs, you know, in the realms of hundreds of thousands of pounds to, to bring yeah. to market. Right. The races that they're bringing out at release, they already have almost all the units in available in plastic they've got the molds sure. already so there's there's no real capital investment might be the wrong term but they don't have to create something from scratch right they've sure. got a huge yeah. backlog of plastic kits that the costs have already been met so that means if you have an army from the warhammer fantasy battle that will work fine with the new old world setting you can use those armies perhaps yes perhaps with a couple of exceptions because of the difference in the time for the setting some things will not be available like uh, the thing that springs to mind are the colleges of magic don't exist yet in the empire so there's no Um, you know like in vermintide chris you you frequently play the the bright wizard the uh, the fire wizard Sienna Fuegison or something. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Fiery McFire. Yeah. In English. Old combustible <laughs> face. Old spontaneous yeah, uh, combustion face. Old. Do, oops, do, I'm going to explode again. <laughs> uh, her, her college doesn't exist. It'll be, it won't be until after the Great War of Chaos that those colleges start to be created again from scratch. So how mm. magic is going to be used by human forces will be a very interesting mm. thing to have a look at uh, when it comes out. However, we're perhaps going off on some commercialized tangents. Yeah. Getting back to the geography of the planet. The old world is analogous to Europe. It's analogous to our realities, Europe and is the kind of center of focus for the new game. Things outside of the old world will exist, but they're not going to be covered in a huge amount of detail. But we should perhaps touch on them just now to give context for uh, for listeners. So, if you kind of have an imaginary map of the world in front of you, or an actual map, those are available. If you go from, <laughs> say... Pick Germany, because that's really what the the empire of man is. It's a German or Germanic empire in the kind of late medieval through into Renaissance kind of setting. That's the cultural setting for the empire of man. So above Germany, you have in quotes, and these are quotes, real quotes this time, evil Scandinavia, which is Norska. And then above Norska, you have the chaos wastes. So that's where the evil a, chaos wastes. 
Yes, uh, and the Chaos Ways exist because at the kind of dawn of history, the planet was discovered and messed with, tinkered, one might say, by a race Fiddled. of beings referred to as the Old Ones. And to assist in their kind of galactic travels, they built uh, what's referred to as the Polar Gates or Warp Gates at the North and South Poles of the Warhammer world. And as happens inevitably in every single cultural uh, and civilization setting in fantasy, there was a disaster and these gates broke. Ba -ba -bum. <laughs> which left a literal hell, which is life with Kral, flow into <laughs> flow into the Warhammer world. So you have Effectively, you will go from Germany, evil Scandinavia, hell. That's really. And there's like buffer, buffer lands between all of that. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm indecisive at the best of times. So three clear-cut options like works for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Worst backpacker's route ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the roll mops are to die for in evil yeah. Scandinavia. Those pickled herring. <clears throat> <laughs> evil pickled herring it's more like evil pickled herring tentacles that's <laughs> what you're oh, the tentacles are the best bit Darren <laughs> so <laughs> returning back to uh, Germany if we go south we to Bavaria <laughs> <laughs> no. are you alright mate you're having Sorry. a stroke <laughs> <laughs> I'm stroking something uh, Chris has got his pussy out. My cat, listeners. I'm, I'm stroking my cat. <laughs> Juvenile. Sorry, yeah. So if we go south, we follow the what's referred to as the World's Edge Mountains, which go all the way from, effectively, from the Chaos Wastes right down to the tip of what we would consider to be Africa. So we follow the World's Edge Mountains down. We hit below the empire or germany we hit the what's referred to as the border princes or the border principalities and these are kind of balkanized eastern european style states that's how they're structured it seems to be a, a constant state of civil unrest and kind of war between the various principalities and city states it also acts as a buffer region for the Empire so that none of the griblies that we're about to talk about can get in with any great ease. Griblies. Below that, travelling south, we hit what's referred to as the Badlands, which I like to think as whales with orcs. That's really what it, what it is. It's a vast, untamed wilderness, much like the country of Wales, uh, with uh, <laughs> that is untrue. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's fun. I absolutely yeah, adore sure. the Welsh, and I love making fun of them. <laughs> so the Badlands really is—it's it, kind of a, a kind of a marshy scrublands. It's the kind of place that where a lot of evil ends up, just kind of dripping Hanging into. Out. Yeah. Uh, so Loitering. it's. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's full of the green skins, as they're referred to, which are orcs and goblins. 
and also lots of monsters, a good handful of giants, and a not insignificant amount of zombified dead uh, strolling around the place uh, looking for grains, although I may have misheard them. Travelling <laughs> south then, <laughs> we come to a lot of marker stones, and these marker stones mark the border of what's referred to as the Kingdom of the Dead, the Nehekara, the Empire of the Tomb Kings, which is undead fantasy Egypt. And that's where the Tomb Kings faction hang out. If we continue south, then we get into the kind of jungleized Africa, is really how to think about it, until we get down to the very tip of the Southlands, which is what they're referred to, where we find a high elf fortress. And that's really the kind of tip point of civilization heading south from the empire. It should be noted that abutting the undead Egypt is a place called Araby, which is, if you were to think of a mix between, yeah, late medieval and Renaissance Middle East, but with a veneer of kind of a thousand and one nights. It's that kind of aesthetic, cool. that kind of vibe. I have no idea how to picture that. Like, just lots of scimitars, Crow. Just lots of curves. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, scimitars. Got it. Everything is made of scimitars. It's only scimitars. That's Nothing. It. There's yeah, no yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. All the buildings are scimitars. All the people are scimitars. It's animated scimitars. Some of them actually animated. They're cartoon scimitars. Yeah. And I've now said the word scimitar so many times, it now no longer has any meaning. What, have I made it, uh, no, no, Scimitar? you haven't. I think it's. I think it's a horse with a human torso. It's <laughs> mm. a scimitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we go back up to the Empire of Man again, Germany, and we head east, we cross over the World's Edge Mountains, that huge spine of the world, and as we go through, we see a lot of dwarven kingdoms. Uh, so that's dwarves, where a lot dwarves, of the dwarves, 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 we are quite big fans. We do. We are quite big fans of dwarves. And if you were to sum up dwarven culture in one word, it would be Gimli. <laughs> Gimli. <laughs> Grudgy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear I can't hear the name Gimli without thinking of some sort of self-leveling thing. Do you know what I mean? Like Gimble. <laughs> <laughs> he's the straight he's a straight up dwarf, man. He is a straight up dwarf. <laughs> you put him on any surface, doesn't matter what it is, bam, straight line. Doesn't matter. Straight <laughs> he just T-poses straight away, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Over the World's Edge Mountains, we get into a place called the Darklands. And this is, I think, a fairly unique concept for uh, Warhammer. It's the realm of the kind of chaos dwarves. Anything that you hear prefixed or suffixed with the word chaos is evil, as we would understand it. And so evil dwarves very much look like a kind of Babylonian culture. So lots of kind of ringleted beards, and uh, winged bulls whose names I always get wrong. Yep. Ridiculous hats. Amazing hats. Absolutely Just amazing hats. Like gravity defying hats. 
Yeah, we're we're talking about like if a stovepipe hat, like imagine Abe Lincoln with a hat that was nine foot tall, and then <laughs> you kind of looked at him from very far away. Chaos. But, but but the hat is also kind of bejeweled and bedazzled. Yeah. And beweaponed and yeah. I th- I think I, that I, make I'm not measured heavy. Is that is it, is it just decorating? Is it, is it just their uniform? Is it just their style, their vibe? Is it, or, or I, does it have a function? Do they do they like keep stuff in it? <laughs> you know, it's got a, yeah, okay. They've got Gimli inside. <laughs> that, that's basically it. Gyro Gimli. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Chaos Gimli. <laughs> Chaos Gimli. <laughs> and the, the Darklands is viewed incorrectly as the birthplace of the Greenskins. But a lot of greenskins hang out in that area. And you go from the kind of general kind of orcs and regular goblins to black orcs, which are these huge hulking kind of eugenics created warriors and hobgoblins, which are really kind of uh, one and a half times the size of a normal goblin and even crueler. Uh, Mr. Chris, you had your hand there. I did, and I fucking forgotten again. So, oh, I remember my question. Get... I remember my question. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say the Badlands is incorrectly regarded as the uh, the homeland, the native lands of Greenskins? No, no, he said no the, the Dark, dark Lands is the incorrectly. Dark lands, excuse sorry. me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, okay, I did. Cool. Yeah. 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 Fine. Just. Yeah. 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 So once you get past the Darklands, you get into a place called the Mountains of Morn. And these really are the ogre kingdoms. Guess what lives there? That's right. Noblars and and (laughs) ogres. Um, And so if you can imagine an ogre is 10 foot tall, 6 to 7 foot wide, looking like some sort of Mongolian sumo wrestler in armor. That's what an ogre is. In wow. Warhammer, uh, and they are serviced by um, a small kind of proto-goblin race referred to as the Noblars, and they are one of our Spelt favorite kind of things. Spelt with a G, and, 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 <laughs> an, N, and an N, and an N, because otherwise it would be goblers, goblers, <laughs> goblers, <laughs> goblers. <laughs> and, and that's a very different race. I think they're a form of halfling. Sorry, how, how how do you spell Noblars? Go for it. G N O B L A R S. That makes complete sense, but I always thought it was K N O B L A R S. Knoblers. Yeah. Knoblers. Just because knoblers. Just because knob. You know what I mean? Just because. Just because knob. That's yeah. Because knob. We're going to get you a T-shirt with that on it. Why? Why? With a G. Why are they? Why are they referred to as? No noblars with a K. It's hang on. Is that their nose? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the mountains of Morn, where the ogres hang out, is also has the kind of ruins of the Sky Titans, who are the Uber Giants of Warhammer, who are, as of recording, dead. Uh, the ogres took over their realm, and then beyond that, beyond the mountains of Morn. We have Cathay, we have Ind, which would be India. We have Nippon, which is their version of Japan. But we'll draw a veil over those and and head back to Germania. If we begin again heading east 
from the old world, or sorry, heading west from the old world. It's millions, billions. I'm getting my east and west mixed up again. <laughs> we The very first thing we hit, you know, as soon as we get on a boat and start sailing, is the elven continent of Ulthuin, which is home currently to the High Elves. There are three races of elves within uh, Warhammer. High Elves on Ulthuin, Dark Elves on Evil Canada, uh, which is Nagareth. In, 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 Nagareth. In, rude. What's your language? Nagareth. <laughs> Na- <laughs> Nagaroth, yeah. And then the Wood Elves, which live in the Old World, and we'll return to that uh, shortly. As mentioned, Dark Elves in Evil Canada. Most of what we would consider America is a wild, untamed place, very dangerous to travel through and you know you have to go heavily armed so completely different to america at the minute and then if you go down <laughs> to uh, <laughs> if you continue into what we would consider south america you come to a land called lustria and that is the home of the aztec style lizard people so we have uh, with awesome the- names as i remember Oh, don't. You know that triggers me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> triggers everybody. It does. It's outrageous. But the realm of Lustria is governed by the Slan. Now, the Slan were the primary servants of the Old Ones, if we recall. The Old Ones were the ones that set up the Polar Gates. And they chose for their, their form a very interesting style. A giant, obese frog with a huge brain that is effectively the greatest magic users in the uh, Warhammer world. And they're so obese, they have to float on stone palanquins that kind of hover through the jungles. But very dangerous uh, place to be, lots of diseases, lots of uh, scaven. What are those, Darren? We'll cover them shortly. But also lots of venomous creatures. Can Slan hop? Slan cannot hop. They are non-hoppers. They are non-hoppers. Well, they could hop, but they'd probably only do it once and they'd break their legs. Because Mm. they're so chubby. Yeah. Real chubby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like if they were really magical. Could they magic themselves to do it? Yeah, exactly. And they just like magic hop. Mm. They probably could, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see where this is going at all. It's, I do. Pfft, yep, yeah, there I, just, I like the idea of fat frogs jumping around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's so, ret- sorry. Quick question. Go on. Uh, you said that America was really dangerous. What's going on in there? Is it is it wildlife based danger, or are there you, you know? It's Warhammer, more- man. It's fucking everywhere. The floor is lava everywhere. Like oh, <laughs> in what? Place. In Warhammer, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in what we were just talking about, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a war zone of uh, dark elf raiding parties. Uh, you have a lot of kind of what we would consider dinosaurs roaming around that place and a lot of uh, evil kind of vicious beasts. But then you have the kind of good, in quotes, of the lizard men forces pushing back against that plus you have colonies from various uh, other countries and cultures within the 
Warhammer World kind of fighting for resources. So it yeah, it's it's very much the the kind of fantasy sweaty wild west. That's what I drew yeah, for sure. Smorgasbord of of dangers there, isn't it? <laughs> a spoopel of danger. Yeah. <laughs> Lads, we've dispensed with the kind of rank commerciality of the Warhammer the Old World re-release. We've had a brief and confusing look at the global geography. And now I thought we'd just dive into the old world proper, the setting, the actual uh, in quotes, uh, or stop doing in quotes, darn you prick. <laughs> the figurative uh, Europe that this uh, game is set in. The heart of the old world is the Empire of Man, uh, founded 2200 years ago by Sigmar himself, the heroic demigod of the Uberogan tribe, who created it after the Battle of what pass, Ben? Was it Black Fire Pass? Exactly Black right. Pass. Black Black Fire Pass. So go. the uh, the Empire of Man is effectively pre-Renaissance Germany. That's how you should envisage the culture. So we're moving out of the kind of Middle Ages into what's referred to as kind of early modern history. You know, black powder weapons are a thing and have been a thing for a little while. Art and culture is blossoming, but it's still very much a, a kind of feudal culture. You still have massed armies, because, you know, that's what the game is about, facing off against each other, even though they have handgun weapons or black powder weapons. So very much a kind of proto-sharp. If you've watched the sharp uh, you bastard movies and shows with the <laughs> Sean you bastard being that's the kind of vibe lots of armor lots of two-handed weapons and halberds lots of kind of peasant troopers but also a dedicated army for each of the elector counts uh, what are elector counts well elector counts are the group of 12 counts that can elect an emperor for the empire and the emperor has to come from one of those one of those noble houses so the empire itself is a, a densely forested country that's nestled between significant mountain ranges it has as i say 12 provinces but at the moment it does not have an emperor or rather, we are in the time of three emperors. And in fact, arguably, there's a, a kind of fourth claimant to the throne. So the, the empire is contested by the elector counts of Middenland, which is an unfortunate name, but there we are. And that is centered on Middenheim, which is a huge kind of fortress city built on a pillar of rock in the sort of northern empire and it that is the site of or the center of worship for the god of wolf and winter ulrich who was in fact the deity that was worshipped by sigmar at the time of his life and mr chris uh remind me the tribe clan that sigmar came from the uberogan 
Uberogen. What became of the Uberogen after Sigmar's ascension? Well, the clue will be in the number of tribes. There were 12 tribes, mm. and uh, uh, each one mm. of them had an area. Mm. So all of the provinces are based on the kind of ancestral lands of those tribes. So the Uberogen uh, took over what's referred to as Reichland. That's where they eventually uh, kind of settled. Um, was it Uberogen? So, I, thought we, I thought you'd said Umberogen in the past. Was it? Well, I, how dare you correct me? I know you're right, but go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, the <laughs> Umberogen. 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 <laughs> uh, Barogan. The next claimant is an electrocount called Ludwig the Fourteenth from a place known as Talabekland. Now that is the kind of southern third, southern half of uh, the empire, um, through which the River Aver and the River Talbeck, or sorry, the River Aver runs. Uh, it's River Aver, uh, uh, love that word. Yeah, the the River Aver. It's uh, it sounds like someone who has sex with rivers. No, <laughs> River Aver. Yourselves, um, you River Aver. The the River Aver. Aver River Aver. <laughs> sounds like a chocolate bar. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good mix of forested or, or huge forests and uh, lots of arable land. So it's quite a wealthy section of the uh, the empire. Talapheim, which is the capital of uh, Talabic land, is a, a, a large city built inside a crater of a huge meteor. And that's actually inspired by a real place in Germany called Nordlingen, uh, which is a town that's built inside the, uh, you know, a, a, a 25 crater. kilometer crater of a, of a meteor. So Amazing. Blimey. Yeah. So they've they've got quite good defences because they've got quite high walls all around them, naturally occurring. They're in a hole. They're in a hole. The third kind of major claimant is an elector countess referred to as Margrita the Sixth, and she's based in Marienburg, which is in the wastelands, which at this time is still a province of the empire. It will later move out of the empire of man to become its own country, its own uh, province. And when thinking about the wastelands and Marineburg, you should think of the kind of low countries of our own uh, Europe. So the, what will become like, Netherlands, oh, Belgium, Netherlands, that kind of idea. Yeah. It becomes a, a, a kind of trading powerhouse. And indeed that's the, that's the kind of mechanism they use to leave the empire. So, while they are a very kind of fragmented people at the minute, the people of the Empire of Man are in general viewed as the main goodies of Warhammer. In terms of their capacity for war, they are quite an advanced group of, or it's quite an advanced culture. They have cannons, they have volley guns, which are cannons with lots of barrels. They have or are about to have something referred to as a steam tank, which is a mixture of an Abrams battle tank and a traction engine. So that's uh, <laughs> what will... Uh, Great for clearing the sinuses. A steamed tank. 
a steam tank and one of my favorite aspects of the vehicle in the in the rules is that you can spend an amount of steam points to charge in and slam into a, a an enemy unit kind of run them over and then you can reverse and you can do it again <laughs> nice they have the each uh, province has a kind of state army and these are very well drilled and disciplined um soldiers most of which fight as infantry although they do have knightly orders which are if you can imagine the kind of classic well-armored knight on a horse but in a military order where they are quasi-religious warriors they also have access to or the heroes have access to great fantasy beasts with which they can mount and head into battle so we're talking everything from a pegasus up to a dragon uh, and uh, griffins hippogriffs Ooh, that's it no, that that's really it wow. there's nothing else what was a hippogriff again a hippogriff is the front of an eagle the back of a horse and is a and a griffin the front of an eagle back of a lion oh mm. it's the back end it's, it's sh- all about the back end it's such a shame yeah. that it wasn't a hippo like the back end of a hippo. Yeah, where's the hippo in this griff? <laughs> yeah, like, isn't that a massively massive? undersold? <laughs> yeah. Eagle's no, head, uh, massive. Or maybe hippo it's bottom. more like hypnotoad. Do you know what I mean? It's it's half of the two that Dar's head, but it just goes <laughs> and hypnotizes. Do you want it? Do you, do you want the dull answer? The dull mm-hmm. answer is hippo is Greek for horse. Ah, oh, wow. of course, hippopotamus means water horse, doesn't it? Yeah. Hippopotamus is a river horse. That's that's the Greek that's... for river horse. Wow. Yeah. River cow would have been more appropriate, do you not think? I'm not yeah. you know what I mean. Angry thing river cow. Like. Isn't there some fact that like more people die as a result of hippopotamus attacks than shark attacks or something like that? Oh massively. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. If you're about to say only... anything, if you're about to say anything about their ability to communicate, uh, fuck off! Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> ben and I have an ongoing argument about whether a shark can talk to. If a shark was able to talk to a lion, and they both spoke English, for instance, Ben's position is they wouldn't be able to understand each other because their experiences are so different. But that's absolute nonsense because I am able to talk to Kral and understand him. So <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. What, one of the aspects of the Empire which really kind of brings home the fantasy setting of it is they have a series of gods that are worshipped. Foremost amongst them is Sigmar himself. He has ascended to godhood and he has not only a church, a state church operated in his name. He is the patron of the Empire of Man. He also has a significant priesthood ready to take up arms in defense of uh, not only the Empire, but its citizens and Sigmar's honor. This then includes witch hunters as well. So there is a significant level of threat to the empire from practitioners of magic and the forces of chaos. Uh, what's that, Darren? Well, we'll deal with that shortly. Mr. Chris. Is Sigmar cool about all his achievements or is he a bit of a dick? <laughs> He's got a lot of titles, a lot of 
honorary positions, churches and colleges and and areas and streets named after him. There's probably a uh, a dessert that's named after him too. Do you know what I mean? Is he cool about it? Or <laughs> I love that that's your pinnacle of success is like having a dessert named the after Sigma you. trifle. <laughs> the Sigma trifle. <laughs> it's no it's trifle. It's like a trifle, but it's got extra chocolate in it. <laughs> I think Sigmar is pretty cool, but his followers are dicks. Uh, and that's, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. thankfully we have nothing like that in our world. Moving yeah. on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny because it's totally the opposite with us, isn't it? Like, we're the dicks and all of our We have no trifles cool. named after us. <laughs> yeah, and not one dessert. The Profita Kral. <laughs> the Profita Kral. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want the job of jamming him with cream. Uh, Uh, if we think then that the empire of man is a kind of reformation uh, quite religious kind of renaissance germany with access to significant weapons magic users and beasts uh, of various types for the most part though the average citizen in the empire is a peasant farmer or a woodsman so trade is significant in terms of revenue generation but most people live their lives not leaving their village Uh, most people kind of live and die in the villages that they're born into unless they're conscripted into the army in which case there's a really good chance they're never going to come home So it's a fairly bleak place for the average person. Speaking of bleak, we move now westerly to Bretonia. What's Bretonia, Darn? It's a a mixture of medieval France and the King Arthur myth. You don't really need to know much more than that to understand what Bretonia is. <laughs> Darren, just because you have a, like an internal burning hatred of Bretonia, which you don't hide, doesn't mean you, you know, it doesn't give you reason to just skirt over them. <laughs> Bretonia begins with a B. Enough said. Right. <laughs> is the elector count of Bretonia the French King Arthur? There's no such thing as an elector count of Bretonia. There's the King of Bretonia. Oh, okay. Sorry, it's, they're not. It's part its of own the... country. Ah, sorry, I'm getting confused. Okay, so is the king of Bretonia French King Arthur? Uh, no. And does he have coconuts? <laughs> he does, but he keeps them uh, in his aviary where he keeps all his sparrows. <laughs> and swallows. And swallows. Oh, swallows, not sparrows. Yeah, Damn swallows. it. Um, <laughs> So we have to think of, as I say, Bretonia as a mixture of, well, effectively, French King Arthur mythology. It, it currently is ruled by a king called a Royarch, and the current Royarch is King Leon Orkslayer. Uh, he is referred to as the Orkslayer because he slays orcs, really, uh, and we'll now move on. Shut up. So he has, in the terms of the old world setting, just announced the errantry war. And to explain that in a bit more detail, we'll need to have a brief discussion of the social structure of Bretonia. 80% of Bretonia's population are peasants who live in abject poverty, very much like we were talking about the Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Do you know the, the couple that King Arthur meets 
who are one's kind of a political activist and they're slopping mud from one place to another. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's that, that's their existence, abject poverty and uh, kind of a peasant lifestyle. Yeah. They are ruled uh, very much in the same way that kind of the samurai ruled Japan in terms of they were able to act with impunity. The nobility of Britonia acts with complete impunity and disregard uh, to anyone who is not a noble or a knight. Those two things not always being same, but usually they are. So the knights of Britonia, uh, aided by their squires, which is really the best a non-noble can hope to achieve, is to become a squire. Be a nice um, bitch. Well, well, I... Yeah, I've got nothing. Yes, I've yes. got nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yes. yes, yes yeah. is the answer. The answer is yes. So the the nobles really are the kind of fighting arm of Britonia. The peasants can be kind of marshaled together into kind of brigand style outfits of halberdiers and men at arms, but also they have bowmen. It's important to note that the Bretonian nobility, the knights, never touch a missile weapon and really don't want to deal with anyone who ever has touched a ranged weapon at all. The various classes of knights, you, when you join, the, when you become of age within Bretonia as a noble, you become a knight errant. And these are the kind of loud, obnoxious, brash youth uh, knights that go around picking fights and trying to get some level of recognition where they'll be able to elevate themselves from being a knight errant to being a knight of the realm. And a knight of the realm, obviously referred to as Sir whatever, not Sir whatever, Sir insert name here. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, <laughs> these really are the backbone of the uh, Bretonian force and they form up in huge ranks uh, of knights, much like the charge of the Rohirrim in the final thing of Lord of the Rings and Return of the King. It's that kind of way of making war. It's mounted warfare. And so the knights will either charge en masse or they'll use a, a wedge formation to smash through the massed ranks of the enemy forces. And there are rules, actually, in Warhammer to be able to use such a, a technique. Chris, you had your hand up. I did. These Knights of Bretonia, are they an effective fighting force? Because your disdain of them, every time you describe them, they just seem like a bunch of pompous assholes that are kind of <laughs> dressed up, all skirt and no knickers, basically. You know yeah. I mean? They're all dressed up to the nines with really good armour, but they're not that good in battle. They're, 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 they're the last. They are an effective fighting force, but they are... Okay. They, they have limits. Well, they're all twats, but they have limits. Much like the Arhon historic battle of Agincourt, where bowmen, longbowmen, decimated the French nobility, the French knights. That's kind of the weakness. If you can shoot enough arrows at a, a unit of Bretonian knights, they, they will, well, die. Um, they're allergic to arrows, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, much as with the King Arthur mythology, there's a, an, a, an element of the supernatural and mysterious about Bretonia because they seek something referred to, and it's unique to Warhammer, as the Holy Grail. I shit you not. Ooh. It's literally copied and pasted 
King Arthur lore, which is really why I... But Grail is spelt G-R-A-L-E or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> G-apostrophe. Yeah. yeah. Grail. Grail. <laughs> oh, it's Grail, man. <laughs> <laughs> to ascend to any level of power within Britonia where you're granted power over other nobles... You have to go on a quest and achieve kind of the blessing of the Lady of the Lake and either hold or drink from the Holy Grail. I I wish I was making this up. (laughs) So the first step is that you announce you're going on a quest and you become what's referred to as a questing knight. And questing knights, I kind of like them as a concept because they give up the lance and they instead take a two-handed sword. So they use two-handed swords while mounted uh, on horses. Wow. Impressive. That must take some core strength. Oh, yeah. The rotational strength as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper Some proper core workouts there. The neck and head armor on a horse of a questioning knight is really thick. (laughs) In case it goes boing. Um, (laughs) Lots of dead horses uh, in the first year of a a knight's quest. So, but the miniatures for them are really good as well because they are armed with two-handed weapons, but they they have all their belongings with them. So they have what looks like a wardrobe, a small wardrobe attached to the back of the horse, like behind their saddle. <laughs> uh, or, or when you say all their belongings, what kind of thing are they taking on quests with them? Well, like, we're we're, we're looking stuff. at stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. But aggressively kind of noble objects that, you know, think of it as, look, they're go glamping. That's effectively it. They, t- they bring with them everything they need to go glamping. They don't just bring a, a, wooden, a wooden bowl to sup and eat out of. It'll be a chalice. Oh, yeah. It'll an, be, an, it'll be an, a an gold chalice. Yeah. platter. Yeah, 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 sure. These quests can last anything from a handful of years to a handful of decades. There's no real stats, but I think it's quite rare for a questing knight to actually achieve the goal. When they do achieve the goal of meeting the Lady of the Lake and uh, either holding or drinking from the chalice, they become what's referred to as Grail Knights, and they're imbued with this kind of mystical warrior aura, which uh, I think smells a lot like lavender. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and these then are the elite of the elite of uh, bretonian nobility and it's incredibly rare for a duke of a bretonian province or indeed the king himself to not be a grail knight to not have received the blessing of the lady of the lake such is the power of the Lady of the Lake that she's actually worshipped as a as a goddess within uh, Bretonia, and she in fact has her own. We'll call them priestesses, but they are kind of uh, magically imbued women, usually noble, but not always. And these are the primary magic users of Bretonia. Are these uh, handmaidens of the Lady of the Lake, Mister Chris? We were mocking uh, the similarities of the, you know, the the legends of Arthur and the Holy Grail, and comparing that to kind of Bretonian. It is a copy and paste. There's no real halfway house when you're trying to do that, is there? Really? Yeah. No. 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 You no. know, there's there's kind of two schools of thought. You want you want to make it accessible, 
you want something a bit classic, a bit cliche. You know what I mean? Yeah. People can always fall back to as a as as the anchor point, if you like. Yes, there are other takes on that fantasy, legendary myth. You know, there's the whole Lord of the Rings, and there's a lot of other different fantasy things which I can't think of at the moment. But again, there's no real halfway house. So I guess, kind of in Games Workshop's defense, in my opinion, it's kind of in for a penny, in for a pound. You know. But change it up a little bit, you know, just the granny in the mud. There you go. Like, it, it harps <laughs> sure. back to the classics. Everybody knows what you're getting at, but it ain't the, girl in the, puddle, in the lake. Wink. The, <laughs> exactly. I would like to have seen it take a more Three Musketeers vibe. I thought that that could have been a bit more, a bit more <laughs> kind of exciting. Like a lot more <laughs> yeah. swashbuckly, you know? Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> right. we'll move on from Britonia, uh, but we will mention one more thing, is that a lot of these knights, a lot of the more famous knights, get a kind of a coterie, a following of fanboys, peasant fanboys, who eventually worship them as kind of avatars of Bretonian kind of civilization uh, and purity. And in cases where such a noble dies, the knight dies, what they'll actually do, what these uh, battle pilgrims, as they're referred to, end up doing is they will, in a kind of grisly Madame Two Swords, they'll take the dead body of the knight and usually a fair chunk of the dead body of the horse flends off all the uh, flesh one into the other f- flush yeah yeah some sort of skeletal <laughs> a, sausage yeah it's a traducan <laughs> no but what they'll do is they'll actually keep the knight in his armor and mount him on top of the remains of the horse and they'll carry that kind of uh, as a statue into battle as a kind of wow. a, a war altar uh, as was what? Does it give you any buffs? Does it? Is it beneficial? Yes. Or is it just a waste yeah, yeah. of time and energy. It it's like an ins- okay. on the tabletop. It's an inspiring thing, and you it can cause. I believe it can cause it's frenzy in thing. peasants. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it, very much like we were talking recently about some of the older or earlier Khmer armies. The first thing their enemies would see. Uh, the other troops cutting off their own head. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's really a kind of psycho like, maneuver. Mm, sure. And we'll move on to a place called Estalia, which is the fantasy version of Spain. And regretfully, it's one of these kind of areas within the lore that's not really all that well developed. The southern half of it is referred to as kind of a hot, dusty land. And it's really only... Uh, kind of note within in the lore is that it's where the armies of Araby invaded the old world through Estalia and there ended up being a huge crusade called amongst the human nations to cleanse Estalia, cleanse the old world of this invading force. So it very much mirrors Spanish history and you know they do have uh, within their not only the kind of the notions of the crusades the notions of the kind of inquisition style purges but also the kind of trading power and naval power uh, within in and around the old world seas but at this stage the knowledge that it simply exists is enough we're then going to move on to tilia which is fantasy italy 
But between Estalia and Tilia, no relation, is a huge marsh, huge area of kind of marshes, uh, referred to either as the Blighted Marsh or the uh, Zombie Swamps. It changes basically between editions. But there's the ruined remains of a vast city in there that's referred to as Skaven Blight. Now, I mentioned Skaven earlier. The Skaven began life as Chaos Ratmen. These are a kind of bipedal giant rats who have their own civilization and have distinct clans and cultures within there. They number in their millions, if not billions. They may be the most populous race. Probably billions. Probably, Probably billions, actually. Possibly trillions. But they um, they no, operate... Ben, shut up. <laughs> they operate what's referred to as the Under Empire. And so if you were to look at a map of the old world, the Under Empire really follows that kind of same... Uh, layout in terms of cities but they'll have tunnels built between them so you can get arguably from the top of the world's edge mountains right to the bottom of the world's edge mountains in you know through the under empire they're incredibly populous incredibly aggressive and you know have an expansionist mentality it's basically the piccadilly line isn't it the, the yeah. Piccadilly line. It's the line. London underground can, of the world. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't even have to come up to the surface if you want. Like Chaos Ratman seems like a, a pointless prefix to me because Ratman sounds pretty chaotic. <laughs> I, I, I need to be. I mean, <laughs> yeah. could you have a Ratman that wasn't chaos? Um, chaotic? No, no, no. I mean, that's oh, how they were yeah. branded at the start. I mean, right. You've got the the kind of Japanese legends of the Nozomi, who are the kind of weird rats or they they look the same or or rat spirits but and they're not necessarily evil so maybe that's why they stuck chaos on the front of it i I love the idea of like a non-chaotic rat man just appears at like a a noble ball it's like oh hello i'm uh (laughs) (laughs) sir rat man sir rat man do how are you? I, 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 I'm Philip Squeakers the Seventh. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've had this cravat especially made to allow my whiskers to breathe. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just love the idea that he's got uh, whiskers that have been waxed up like Hercule Poirot. <laughs> they just <laughs> anyway. They are a great source of evil and are if you've played Vermintide, they're the primary enemy of uh, Vermintide 1 and 2. They're not in the game at launch, but you definitely, to understand the lore of Warhammer, they're one of the big bads, uh, and we'll cover some of their doings in the next episode. Um, On to Tilia then. Tilia is an incredibly kind of uh, diverse and populous country that really falls into three kind of tranches, three kinds of lifestyle that you can have. One is of a merchant and all of the things surrounding that. So there are trading powerhouse, huge naval fleets that supply the world with various goods and indeed that buy various goods in. Along with that goes, you know, piracy and all the kind of craftspeople that would turn raw materials into refined goods for sale. 
The next then is the idea of the mercenary. If you need a mercenary, Tilia is the place to go. There used to be, in the fifth edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battle As Was, uh, an army list for what's referred to as the Dogs of War. And now I'm going to correct myself because I think it was the fourth edition. No, it was definitely the fifth edition. Uh, and <laughs> It was one of them. It was one of them. And these were the wackiest fucking group of warriors you could buy. You could, just to give you an idea, you could have pikemen, you could have siege crossbowmen, or one of the weirdest was the birdmen of Catraza. So these were guys that had pedal-powered wings on their back and would <laughs> fly across the battlefield shooting people with their crossbows. Amazing. Sounds haphazard. Yeah. Yeah, it's haphazard, but not chaotic. Um, uh, okay. The haphazard heli gyrocopter men of Dillion. So, yeah, so... Again, Renaissance Italy. Think Renaissance Italy. That's really what we're looking at with Tilia. So from Tilia, we find ourselves back around at the bottom, at the south of the old world, and we've already discussed the Border Princes or the Border Prince Confederacy. Not particularly well-defined in the existing lore. I know a lot of fans will be chomping at their bits saying, oh, what about this? What about that? Yeah, this is a summary, mates. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a few important castles, but these are kind of outside of our kind of purview of this episode. The important, perhaps one of the most important landmarks or settlements within the Border Princes is right at the the top of the kind of uh, isthmus, which is the Dwarven Port of Varakvar. This is the naval base of the Dwarven peoples. So again, a huge trading base. There's lots of trade between Barakvar and Tilia. And so you'll see lots of the kind of galleons and merchant ships of the Tilian Navy and indeed the Estalian Navy go up into Barakvar. And a lot of the kind of steam-powered, iron-clad battleships of the Dwarves and sometimes the submersibles as they come out of Barakvar on their uh, various patrols and missions. I think perhaps that's going round to the south, and there's perhaps one more human uh, group to discuss this episode, and that is the realm of Kislev, which again oh. we saw really fleshed out quite well within Total War Warhammer 3. We consider it to be fantasy Poland or a mix of fantasy Poland and fantasy Russia. It originally started, it, it's not actually a, at the time of the old world game, it's not actually that old. It's maybe 700, 800 years old and was sloughed off of the Northern Empire. In fact, it was the Northern provinces uh, within the Ostermark principality that uh, seceded from the empire and formed their own country. Uh, and this was done by the Gospodars, which are their kind of huge ethnocentric group that broke off and formed their own country. And that really forms the buffer between, or, or Kislev, the country, forms the buffer between evil Scandinavia and the Chaos Wastes. Kislev, if you're looking at the map 
of the old world, Kislev is in the northeast of the Empire of Man and uh, has a few notable cities. It's This capital is Kislev City. Come on, lads, you can try a bit harder. <laughs> and then there's another another city which will become both famous and infamous, which is that of Prague. And that is a, a, a city with a dark future ahead of itself. But that's 100 years away. Mr. Ben. Very popular for stag dues. Oh, yeah. Very well. popular. Yeah. 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 Great beer. Um, you said that Kislev was the buffer between the Norska and the Chaos Waste. Did you mean that it's between those two and the Old World? Yes. So Sorry, I thought you meant like it was the bu- buffer between those two chaosy places. I was like, that sounds like a shit position. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, it still is a shit position, but. Uh, so if you come from the north there, if you come from the Chaos Wastes and you go via Kislev, you have to go through the Chaos Wastes, through Norska, and then through something called the Troll Country. Guess what lives there? And then <laughs> down into Kislev proper. And then right. from Kislev, you get into the northern or the northeastern empire. Uh, right. And that, of course, is still bounded on its easterly side by the World's Edge Mountains. Are Kislev and the Empire buddies? Like, do, does because obviously Kislev's doing a lot of the the hard work. I'm guessing. Do the do the Empire mm. back them up? Do they send up troops and be like, keep those fuckers out of our lands? They don't necessarily send up troops, but you find a lot of Tilian mercenaries will end up in Kislev, so they might fund other troops to go up there. Ah, I, I mean, see. the Empire has marched to the aid of Kislev on a number of occasions, and Kislev has reciprocated on a number of other occasions, cool. and the kind of looming Great War with Chaos at the end of the kind of century that we're going to talk about, that really cements the alliance between Kislev and the Empire. But that's not to say that the the relations are always smooth sailing. So in terms of military force, they have vast amounts of uh, infantry, but also a lot of cavalry, a lot of incredibly well-disciplined and veteran cavalry. And in fact, the the kind of most famous being the winged lancers. And so these are cavalry uh, riders who have one or two huge curved poles strapped to their back lined with feathers that when they charge into battle, it makes an incredibly uh, powerful and intimidating noise um, uh, as as they climb into the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Squawk! (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) Bring out the war chickens. But they do have, I mean, their magic users are uh, well-versed in ice magic, and they do have access to the kind of powers and influence of both winter and bears. There are bear <laughs> cavalry units. Um, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I had a quick play on Total War and you get like polar bear cavalry charges and yep. sleds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, fingers crossed we'll see some of them in uh, on the tabletop soon. It, we One of the first kind of uh, sneak peeks was some Kislev infantry, but there's been no kind of mention of them since. But hopefully they'll, at the very least, appear as allied units that are available within the Empire of Man, you know, as kind of buddies. Because that that's how Kislev originally appeared in the fourth edition of 
uh, Warhammer Fantasy, you could take Kislev cavalry units, both the winged lancers and the horse archers within an empire army. Uh, and there's a, quite a few good battle reports that it had a, a Kislev cavalry force aided by some imperial cavalry uh, that was quite effective, yeah. Battle report. Did well, could do better. C plus. So, in terms of the empires of the old world or the uh, civilizations of the old world, that's all the humans. So, in terms of non human elements within the old world, there's really, well, I suppose two and a half is the way you'd put it. The first, as we've mentioned earlier, is the dwarfs. Dwarfs, 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 dwarfs. So, as as we mentioned earlier, think Gimli, and you can't go wrong in terms of their empire, the Karakankor, the kind of uh, the dwarven uh, empire. It's mountain based, and all of it looks like Moria, but not trashed by goblins. That's mm. how to imagine a dwarven hold, even though most of it has been trashed by goblins and skaven <laughs> and orcs. So. They are, uh, you know, an incredibly powerful, uh, honourable and vengeful race of beings. They have access not to magic, uh, but to rune magic. And we will perhaps discuss on the, the power or how magic works. But in general, they hammer magic into items in a certain way through rituals that imbues items with magic capabilities. Uh, and th- that's done through their version of magic users, which is called runesmiths, which are magical blacksmiths. Nice. They also have access to engineers. So they have, in fact, they have the only air force in the game, the dwarves. They have gyrocopters and gyrobombers. It's kind of fantasy. Zeppelins? Do they have zeppelins? In larger games, yes. They have Zeppelins and indeed uh, use them as bombers. But in general, it's mass ranks of incredibly well-armored infantry um, uh, used to tunnel fighting. Uh, They have some troops that are used to fighting above ground. And in general, most of their battles, though, are fought underground. Of note at this stage, perhaps we should mention the Slayers. These are dwarves who have undergone some sort of traumatic thing of dishonor and have shaved their heads, dyed their hair orange, and have sworn to seek redemption in an honorable death. The most famous of these slayers is Gotrick Gurnison of the Felix and Gotrick books, or indeed the Gotrick and Felix books. They are perhaps <laughs> the craziest small bastards I've ever heard of until I met Chris. Um, <laughs> Hi. <laughs> They're very metal, aren't they? They're very metal. They are very metal. They just need to lighten up a bit, and they'd be pretty fucking awesome. I think yeah. you also but need if to it... get an orange mohawk. I think that would, that would or work. A bald cap with an orange mohawk, yeah. At the very least, a pair of axes. Mm, Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, Christmas is coming. Exactly. (laughs) But in general, if if you play D&D or any other of these kinds of role-playing games, the dwarven archetype is largely the same. It's largely kind of cookie-cutter from uh, Lord of the Rings or Norse mythology. 
there are a number of different flavors of dwarf in Warhammer. We mentioned the Chaos Dwarves earlier. These are dwarves corrupted by Chaos. But we do have what's referred to as Norse Dwarves. These are Viking Dwarves. That's the best way to think about them. There are also a, a group known as the Imperial Dwarves. And these are dwarves who, uh, through the loss of their uh, ancestral hold to the enemy, end up living within the empire of man as imperial citizens. And they're not viewed as being without honour, but it's better to be a dwarf living in your own hold, serving your dwarf king, who in turn pledges their allegiance to the high king in Karazakarak, which is the, the kind of seat of dwarven power within the old world, or within the Warhammer world, in fact. Sorry, just to interject, the title Imperial Dwarf sounds quite honourable and regal, but the definition of it is actually... this Negative is maybe a strong word, but it's not the most honourable. Well, it depends on who it's being viewed by. Like People of the Imperial, of, of the Empire probably sounds... Uh, an Imperial Dwarf probably sounds good to them. But then, from mm, the perspective like of imperial other dwarfs, yeah, exactly. Imperial yeah, mint. yeah, yeah. <laughs> reliable, simple, and small. I yeah. don't know. Um, <laughs> suckable. I don't so, know. <laughs> yeah, minty. <laughs> um, but like whole dwarfs are probably like imperial dwarfs. Gross. Sure. Yeah. Perspective. <laughs> Splitters. Yeah. Splitter, they are viewed as fulfilling the kind of honourable alliance between the Empire of Man and the Dwarven Kingdoms. I would invite listeners to go and listen to our six-part series on the Dwarves, where we discuss the how the Empire of Man really would not have been able to have been created without the assistance of the Dwarves. So they, the Imperial Dwarves are viewed as honouring that part of Dwarven history, mm. which is uh, an important uh, thing to do. Sure. As now we have Dwarves, we must also inevitably talk about Elves. In the old Ooh. world, we find two different types Yay. of Elf. Savoury and sweet. The first <laughs> is the archetypal Wood Elf. Again, drawn straight out of the books of Lord of the Rings. These are arboreal elves, elves that live within and around and on trees. Uh, but they are very much the spirits of nature, so that they, they form that kind of Germano-Celtic notion that nature doesn't care about the individual. It just it is, it exists. And so that's the way to view the wood elves of Athel Lauren. Now, Athel Lauren abuts Britonia. It's almost smack bang in the middle of the old world continent. And it's nestled in there amongst the mountains, which leads the dwarves and the elves to inevitable conflict. But these are a kind of mysterious kind of wilderness elves, as you would kind of uh, understand them. They're tied very heavily to the seasons uh, and so their clothes and even their hair and skin can change as the year rolls through. It depends on their uh, king. Their king is Orion who is a, a 
started out as a, a mortal but has become a god and the queen uh, Ariel who is effectively a 10 foot fairy with big flappy butterfly wings um, <laughs> so and, glad I didn't know where you were yeah. going with that <laughs> with massive wings <laughs> oh for yeah. god's sake Chris <laughs> big droopy wings you know <laughs> oh god I, I can only apologise listener <laughs> The Wood Elves, again, follows the standard trope. It, it, they're almost exclusively bowmen, although you do have units of kind of uh, close combat specialists and uh, kind of royal guards, that kind of idea. They do have cavalry, and they do have another couple of uh, interesting units, one of which is the War Dancer. And War Dancers are weaponized ballet dancers who are elves. Uh, and so they flip around aggressively parkouring while pirouetting into the middle of a unit to cut the heads off of leaders and standard bearers and musicians and stuff. Very dramatic, very theatrical, very, very showboating all the way. If you, if you dated one, you'd be exhausted uh, yeah, simply sure. because their constant yeah, yeah. need for attention and movement. <laughs> they vogue yeah, yeah, into battle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would you, can I get you a coffee? Backflip. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake, just walk. Just walk. Um, and then the, the other kind of specialized troop types they have are the dryads and tree men. So these are the uh, spirits of the forest focusing very on. Very flammable. Uh, and indeed, actually, they used to have a rule called flammable. So you could <laughs> any any weapon that had the kind of fire capacity would cause double damage, uh, but these are think again, Lord of the Rings. You're looking at Ents, okay. But these are kind of uh, spirits of the Warhammer trees, uh, either as gigantic treemen or as human-sized dryads who appear as slightly female wood statues. Mm. Uh, who are both allies to and enemies of the Wood Elves, depending on the season, depending on the aspect, their king, but also depending on whether the wood has been corrupted or not. There is an area of Athalorn that has been corrupted by chaos, and so the tree men and dryads of that area are insane and ferocious uh, and will attack anything living, uh, regardless of its own culture. The Wood Elves are aided occasionally by their High Elf cousins. High Elves don't really have huge settlements within the Old World. In fact, in one of the kind of first articles that was put forward, there are actually only four kind of settlements, four small settlements running down the western coast of Britonia where high elves can be found, the largest being on the Silent Isle. So these are either trading encampments for uh, trading with denizens of the Old World or strategic military encampments. High elves are, how would you describe them? A mixture between... Awesome? Uh, oh, They're not. Awesome. They're the opposite of They're awesome. Not. The douchebags, Ben. <laughs> when will you learn? 
They're amazing. These are the, if for readers of the Lord of the Rings, these are the Noldor elves. These are the kind of the pinnacle of elven arrogance and capacity. And the only thing that makes them more infuriating than they actually are is that they actually are that good. They are <laughs> exactly uh, tremendous craftspeople, redoubtable warriors, but in general, they live a very kind of hubristic life. They're so convinced that they're right in everything that they do that they refuse to heed the advice of others or or the caution that is sometimes presented to them by their allies, be it their wood elf cousins or human allies. All the reasons why I despise the high elves. They're very good at what they do and they know they're very good at what they do. Like... No humility, no humbleness. None at all. Yeah, yeah. They don't heed other advice. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. But they're still awesome. Still real. Why, Why do you like Why? them? Just because they're they're graceful. They look the tits. Some of them even look the soapy tits. Their armor and weapons are badass. The design of nah, them mate. is awesome. <laughs> like sleep, I'll, I'll take a little bit of hubris if it means looking that good, Krell. Right, yeah, okay, so fine. think of it in terms of their look and feel. They're kind of high fantasy, elven, Atlantean uh, kind of pastiche. Everything, they wear white as their color of war. They have very sleek scale armor. They're very svelte. They're the epitome of uh, kind of grace and knowledge and uh, and and when it comes to it, war. Um their home, as we said at the start, is the kind of donut continent of Ulthuin. Uh, and for the vast majority of their culture and capacity, it's not really going to have an effect on the old world. Not until after the Great War Against Chaos. So uh, in terms of what I expect we'll see for the old world, we'll see the kind of citizen levy that makes up the majority of the High Elf Army. We might see some Sea Guard. These are elves equipped with uh, spears, shields, and bows, so that they can. These are the ones that are like the Marines of the High Elven culture. And we might see some cavalry units, some heroes. But in general, I think though they may end up being an allied force for another, uh, for a human force. But uh, I'm prepared to be surprised. So in terms of their positioning within the old world, they really only exist in this re-release in outposts. Is that how you would describe it? Yes, I think there'll be, you may be able to get at launch a, a goodly sized high elf army, but it probably won't have all of the troop types and all of the um, kind of capacity that an Ulthuin based army would have. Right. But you know, I may be wrong. They may, they may just go, well, no, these small outposts represent a proportional percentage of the uh, citizen kind of troops and specialists for uh, high ops. But I suspect it's going to be very kind of naval focused in terms right. of the troops you would find within uh, Elven navies. Cool. So in terms of the goodies for the old world, that's really it. That's the kind of the basic understanding you need of these races. 
to kind of move forward into the game to get an idea of where they sit within the kind of geographic setting of the old world. Next episode, we'll deal with the uh, the kind of baddies and we'll have a look at the, the timeline uh, for the old world setting that the new game will uh, hopefully gel with. Mr. Chris. What are your hopes and expectations for some of the goodies in the re-release of the old world? Any developments on current ideas? Anything brand new? I'll be interested to see how they handle magic within this setting because it's pre... Mm. Like, Britonia a couple of hundred years ago is the same as Britonia now. There's not really mm. been any advancements. Estalia and Tilia, they largely have stayed the same between what the proposed setting is and the, the kind of finality, the end times. Dwarves, again, largely the same. Wood elves have mm. remained the same. High elves, mm, they're a bit more expansionist in terms of their outward view, but they're largely the same again. I th- I'd be most interested to see how they handle the social structure of the empire. Okay. And I'll be really interested to see how that, uh, how forces can be allied against mm. uh, the, the forces of chaos or the forces of the dead. But yeah, I'll be interested to see how, what the empire looks like, given that it, sure. it, it's got three or four factional uh, kind of groups within there. Because with the magic thing, obviously, if this is set before the colleges of magic, then magic as an as a feature of the empire is going to be restricted. But yeah, in terms of dwarfs, you have rune magic. Bretonia doesn't really do magic, as far as I understand. Wood elves have an aspect of magic to them anyway. They, they do, yes. Yeah. And then, of course, the high elves are like badasses when it comes to magic. W- well before the yes, colleges yeah. of magic? Masters of high magic, yeah. Oh, yeah. And in fact, the, the colleges of magic were only founded at the, at the intercession of three elven archmages. Ah, okay. they, they were the ones that taught the empire. It, t- it took three high elves to teach an entire kingdom's, you know, to, to institute the colleges of magic. So of those kind of five main factions, then, is it likely that the high elves would be the main magic users for this new setting? For this I don't know if they'll be the main magic users, but they'll certainly have the most powerful spells, the, the right. spells that can hmm. come up with the greatest... Um, uh, impact on the battlefield in earlier versions of warhammer like the high elves had uh, spells where they you could move terrain around the battlefield you could move a hill <laughs> and anything that was on <laughs> the hill was anything that was on the hill was disrupted and anything you know you could basically bulldoze another enemy unit with a hill uh, and they would I take damage <laughs> associated with that eat I hill love that. bastard on the on the on the front line <laughs> John, I, did you? I swear that hill was over there a moment ago. Did yeah. you see that? I, 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 I need to stop smoking that shit, man, because this is—it's messing with my head. <laughs> yeah, and, and with the and with the wood elves, you could move forests. You could move them, you know, a set amount of inches, any direction you liked uh, at the start. Yeah, it was crazy. Kral, of those five, then 
what so Empire Man, Dwarves, Bretonia, Wood Elves, High Elves. What are you gonna pick? Mm. It's gotta be the dwarves. There's no orcs, I'm afraid. Yeah, dwarves all the way. I'm a fanboy of orcs and dwarves. Orcs kind of uh, have kind of just scrape it in first position. It's it's close. So if it ain't the orcs, it's the dwarves all the way. Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, I'm man. not. I mean, yeah. we know. I won't even ask we... you because you're an elf fanboy. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd be, I'd be, so I'd be, I didn't, I'd, I wouldn't know between the the wood elves and the high elves. I like the sound of Orion and. Ariel, As long as it's got the word elf it? in it, you're all Orion and Ariel, right. yeah. Yeah, I like the sound of so so he's he's a living god then. Is he still alive? He, yes, okay. they they both are effectively. So he looks like you know what a satyr is? Like a nope. a, a a guy but with goat legs. Oh right. Yeah, I've seen a few of them. Yeah. So he's about eleven or twelve feet tall. It has deer legs, like the hind legs of a deer. And uh, huge, a huge set of antlers, and is ultra buff. Amazing, uh, and, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your kind of classic druidic, yes, tree exactly right. Yeah, godly yeah, yeah. spirit, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. He has a huge uh, hunting spear which can pin a minotaur to a tree, but also he's constantly followed by a pair of Irish wolfhounds, like giant Irish wolfhounds the size of a horse. They're like the comic relief. Aren't they? They're yeah. like Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like two spunky sidekicks. Here, did you see that? There, he pinned that Minotaur against that tree. Fucking mad. <laughs> Voiced by Chris Rock and uh, someone else. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris Tucker. Chris Rock and someone yeah. else. Yeah. 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 Just, just the Chris's. <laughs> just, just the Chris's. Right, we have got to wrap up. Anything else? See you next episode. <laughs> all right that's all from us thank you so much for listening details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found in the description as well as a link to our main show laying down the lore the old world if you want to dive a little deeper into the lore for this setting you can also find info and links to all our shows on our website at layingdownthelore.com we'll be back for part two to demonstrate just how little kral and i know until then goodbye farewell see you later Fuck off. <laughs> hey, there he is. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. It'll be good to see you all again next episode. I love you. Bye.